Good morning, Severn Run, and my name is John Smith, and I get the wonderful privilege of being your executive pastor. And what I wanted you to do today as we begin this brand new series is I want you to just take a moment, wherever you are, to go ahead and sit back, relax just a little bit, and join me on a journey, if you will. Ephesians 1, 4. Even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Even before God made the world, God loved and chose us. Sometimes it's necessary to take a step back and realize that we are eternal beings. Has it been a thousand years? Maybe a million years ago, possibly a billion years. Then again, God has always been. So who knows when God had his first thought of you? Upon that first thought, that first time that your eternal name crossed his infinite mind, he knew something powerful had just occurred. He knew that his creation had just become more complex, more full, more complete. And most importantly, his love, because he had created the thought of you, had been further revealed. The moment that God thought of you, he also thought of how much he loved you. You would be created in his image. You would be created for his purpose. You would be created for eternity never to cease to exist. Because he loved you, he also knew that love requires the freedom to choose. You would have the option to choose his love or to walk away from it. To live out your created purpose in his created image or to pursue a path of your own making. A path that leads away from his creative power, and peace that his presence offers. Either way, you will never cease to exist. You will only exist in his presence, in his love, or far away from the one who is the source of all that is good, all that is love, joy, and peace. Either way, you will always be. It's important in a physical world where we're housed in these bodies and too often subservient to our senses to be reminded there is more than this time and space that we call life or human existence. We are eternal. Let that sink in. And welcome back to planet Earth. Now, I don't know where that took you over the course of the last few minutes, but if you're a follower of Jesus, then you probably were able to find some hope in the idea that you are an eternal being. You intellectually know, and you're daily trying to experience his eternal presence, although you are bound by all of these physical surroundings. Now, 
If Jesus is one with whom you are still a little bit skeptical, then you may have outright rejected the idea already that he is an eternal being. The verdict may still be out for you. And I just want to say that that's okay. I'm just glad that you're listening here today. And that shows that you're at least have a little bit of openness to the possibilities of what lies beyond you. Either way, I want you to know that it's my experience and the experience of millions of people throughout human history that you are an eternal being. This truth is super easy to forget because we are trapped in this thing called the flesh. Now, if you break your toe skateboarding like my 13-year-old son did this last week, then you're probably not thinking about your eternal state. You're thinking about your flesh. If you lose your job, eternity is not the number one concern that you have. Paying your mortgage is. And if your spouse is one who hangs the end of the toilet paper at the backside of the roll, then certainly eternity is not on your mind. Making sure that they understand how wrong they are is the only thing that you can think about. Of course, you're probably reminded of eternity when your teenager smarts off to you because that's usually the moment that you go ahead and you remind them that you're more than willing to send them into eternity if they ever uh, decide to do it again. But we're trapped in this thing called the flesh. And as a result of it, too often, we don't have the ability to be reminded that we are eternal beings. Now, before I get too down on the flesh, and trust me, I will, let me just say that the flesh is not all inherently bad. It does, in fact, house your created image. And when I walked into the mirror this morning and I looked at myself and, 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 and made sure everything was right and proper, I could not help but be thoroughly impressed with the packaging. Now, it goes too far to believe, as some have, that in order to be able to experience the eternal, that for some reason we might need to terrorize our flesh as the aesthetics do in their ritualization of bodily punishment. Our flesh, too, is created and it has its purpose. Although when it's left to his own devices and we've all let our flesh run wild at times, it has devastating effects on our eternal state and our relationship with the spirit of the living God. The flesh is all about its own personal existence. It's about its own personal survival. It's about its own personal power. It's about its own comfort. It's about its own personal achievement and its own personal enrichment. It's about its own. The flesh left to its own devices is always selfish. Your flesh will make you forget about eternity. It is always in a battle with the spirit and your internal state trying to drag you back down into a broken existence. It's what the Apostle Paul states in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, where he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul goes on to show us that flesh ultimately materializes itself in our lives in the very worst of ways. Listen to this list. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're a halfway moralistic individual, then it may be easy to look at this disgusting and abhorrent list and dismiss that your flesh is in charge and that it's keeping you from recognizing your eternity. Because it's probably really too easy for you to look at a list like that and say, well, that's not me. I'm not participating in all that kind of craziness. However, let's not let ourselves or our flesh off the hook easily because Paul's list could be considered the flesh in the extreme. There are other subtle ways in which our flesh is keeping us grounded and forgetting about our eternal possibilities. So how do you know if your flesh is in charge? Well, I think that there's three really simple questions that you can ask yourself that will give you a little bit of insight as to whether or not you are continually staying focused as an eternal being on the spirit world, on the spirit of God, or whether or not you are living in the flesh. Question number one is this, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? Now for your flesh, the answer is that there will never be enough. It will always be wanting and it'll always be reaching for more. Are the, although you're full, it'll, your flesh will tell you, go ahead in there and have two more chocolate chip cookies. It's not going to hurt. It'll tell you, go ahead, have another glass of wine with your meal, or in my case, the whole bottle. You need more. Your flesh will tell you that you can't afford to be generous because your 401k hasn't been totally realized yet. It will tell you that you do, in fact, need a new pair of shoes, even though you've already had to take all your wife's shoes out of her out of the closet, put them in another place in the house to be able to fit your shoe collection. Um, I might be guilty of that. I will, it will tell you that although you've made your point inside of a difficult discussion, that you must continue to hammer at home until the opposing party submits in utter defeat. That is what your flesh is all about. It wants more. It will convince you that your boss has no business being your boss and that you are much more qualified for the position. None of this is to say that the desire to grow or to achieve or to expand your territory is wrong, but it is to note that your flesh will always want to be doing it for itself. Your flesh never does anything because it wants to benefit somebody else. It always wants to benefit you, and it always wants more for itself. Jesus counters these desires of the flesh when he says, in Matthew 6, 25 through 33. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And are you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, then he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, 
what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear? All the things that the flesh is constantly concerned with. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people of the world, people that don't see anything above and beyond the here and now. But your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. But your flesh will always claim that it needs more. Here's the second question that you can ask yourself to know whether or not your flesh is in the driver's seat of your life is what am I controlling that is not mine to control? Your flesh always wants to have control. It wants to have control of everything. That's why it it kindly reminds you to remind your spouse of the techniques that they can use to improve their driving skills when you're sitting in the passenger seat. Your flesh is and will convince you to convince your children that they want to be doctors and lawyers rather than musicians and artists because your flesh knows what's best for them. And the controlling of the nature of the flesh is what makes your mother-in-law... I'm going to stop right there because if I keep on going, I might get myself in a whole lot of trouble. Here's what Jesus says to this entire idea of the flesh wanting to have control of everything in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to have control over their life won't have control over their life, but whoever will give up control to the spirit They are the individuals that will find real life. The third question is this. What is my long-term emotional state? This can help us understand whether or not the flesh is in the driver's seat. Living controlled by the flesh will ultimately leave you living in fear, resentment, and unhealthy stress. Now, here's the truth about my preaching. If you've heard anything that I've had to say over the course of the past four years when I've had the opportunity to be able to preach or to teach, then you have heard this concept already. Because I think that this is a life-changing concept. The fact that your emotional state can tell you a whole lot about how you're doing on your journey of following Jesus. Whether you are living in a constant state of fear, resentment, and unhealthy stress, or whether or not you are living according to the fruits of the Spirit. Now hear me loud and clear. I am not saying that those who follow Jesus never have a bad day. The truth about the matter is, before I even started talking with you today, I've had a bad morning. But our experiences and our emotions don't remain there if we're consistently walking with Jesus. Now, short of some type of biological disease or or mental challenge that you may be facing, and hear me also loud and clear on this, if you're facing anything like that, please seek medical help. Please go to counseling. I've benefited from both of those things. But short of those things being the reason why your emotions are in a bad state, The fact is that if you are following Jesus and allowing his spirit to have control over you, you will not continually be in that type of state. You cannot continually walk with Jesus and live in a state of fear, resentment, and unhealthy stress. 
worldly concerns of who may be next to occupy the Oval Office or COVID-19 will not be debilitating in nature. They won't affect you like they affect everybody else. Instead, our fears will be replaced by love. Our resentments will be replaced by joy and our unhealthy stress will be replaced by peace. I got to say in my lifetime of Christianity, having grown up in the church, I have seen way too many people who are long-term Christians that are not fun to be around, that are mean and nasty and angry and bitter and all of the things that go against what the spirit of the living God places inside of somebody. How do we know whether or not the flesh is in control? Look at your current emotional state because the bad ones don't point to lives that have truly surrendered their flesh to Jesus. What does an eternal life controlled by Jesus look like? Well, you've heard me and our pastor share these verses with you time and time again because they are the linchpin of what being a disciple is all about. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not control of everything else in the world, but self-control. Against such, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, with its fears and its resentments and its unhealthy stress. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So here's the question. If you have looked at these three questions and you're able to see that maybe the flesh is spending more time in the driver's seat than what it ought to, the question becomes, how do we end the reign of terror that the flesh has over our lives? Well, I think we started out the message this morning in such a way. We've got to develop the practice of becoming more and more eternally minded. And how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We kill the flesh. Again, we're not talking about some type of abhorrent practice of self-mutilation or denying our bodies the right to live a happy and healthy existence. Those types of practices are nothing more than the flesh trying to have control of what it is only that the Spirit can do. It's just more of the flesh being the flesh. We are talking about a healthy death, and yes, there is such a thing. The type of death that leads to new life. It's a type of death that Jesus was talking about when he said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. It's daily surrendering our current state, our physical state, our worldly state to our eternal one. It's recognizing that living subservient to our physical reality is not taking our soul to the freedom that it truly longs for. It's laying down the desires of the flesh to receive the treasures that are laid up for us in the kingdom of God. 
It's saying no to what our body wants right now, to what our emotions want right now. The things that will kill both of our body and our soul. And it's saying yes to our created image's desire to be connected to its creator. It's our call back to eternity. We must be willing to die to our flesh. In Matthew chapter 27, it is my favorite scene inside of Scripture. I hope that you'll take the time, maybe sometime today, to go back and to read through that chapter. And and don't just read through that chapter like you read through a storybook, but really put yourself in the middle of that scene. Put yourself in the middle of what's going on there. There's so much drama that's taking place. Jesus is standing there. He has been beaten. His flesh is torn. His body will be dead within a few hours. He is standing there in front of Pontius Pilate, a representative of the most powerful government of his day. And to his sides, he has the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the most powerful religious leaders of the day. And behind him, he's got the crowd. And they're doing everything that they can to hit the dislike button on his social media as as much as they possibly can. They're screaming the words, crucify him, crucify him. Everybody wants his flesh dead. Pilate standing there in front of him is curious about who this man is. Why in the world won't he defend himself? Why won't he make a case for why his flesh ought to survive. And Jesus, to many of the questions that Pilate poses, doesn't even bother giving an answer. Because in that moment, Jesus has completely and totally surrendered his flesh to the desires of his heavenly father. Death was not going to be enough to end his existence because Jesus knows of his eternal existence. He knows of his eternal place with his father in heaven. He knows of the eternal place that's offered to each and every single one of us. If we will but surrender this life, if we will walk away from our flesh and turn toward the things of the spirit, he knows the salvation that can come. Jesus was willing to be the example for us in that story, in that scene. And today, what he's asking for you to do is he's asking you to lay down your life. He's asking you to pick up your cross and to follow him all the way into an amazing eternity, one that he's prepared just for you. In Jesus' name, amen.